0: Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Oz Arshad.
1: And I'm Marcus Thomas, and we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help bridge the gap. think i've mentioned in previous episodes uh the short film that started everything for me was of around 800 pounds and skeleton crew and the music was from a talented musician who who kindly allowed us to use one of their tracks for the film and so when i got into the film school um you do a few exercises with other departments and things like that and what i quickly learned was that i had absolutely no idea how to speak to composers because i've got no musical background i've got no sort of like knowledge of musical language and instruments and all that sort of thing. So I just kind of felt a bit paralysed. So I thought, um, or we thought, I'm I'm sure that I wouldn't be the only one feeling like that um, at that sort of point in your career. So we thought, let's get a composer on to chat to us. So today's guest is a very, very talented soul, multi-instrumentalist. They started by studying a BA at Guildhall School of Music and Drama in 2017 before studying a master's at the national film and television school where they're involved in uh, several of the short films there i think kiss chase and when she was good have both gone on to travel lots of major festivals around the world since graduating they've gone on to establish themselves in the tv game working as lead composer on the excellent Heartstopper for netflix tv movie consent for channel four and is currently working on the upcoming season of waterloo road adiesca chase Welcome. <laughs>
2: oh my gosh. <laughs> Even when you say it, I'm like, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did I get here? Oh my God. Life can
1: change a lot in five years, right?
2: No, I'm like, I'm like sweating right now. Like, thinking about it all like, oh gosh. Yeah. No, and I'm, I'm currently working on the, the next season of Heartstopper and yeah, continuing Waterloo Road. Um, so lots of exciting stuff to come.
1: So just to get straight into it, um, very basic question. What is a composer? What do you do?
2: Okay, so um, composer is a very broad term for someone who creates music. Um, For me, composing for film, TV and visual arts, you know, video games, commercials, things like that. It's basically your job to create the score, the music, the soundtrack to this particular project. Um, So that can be anything from just writing tracks that then go on to the project, or it could be watching whatever it is or listening to whatever you are scoring to. And coming up with some sort of soundtrack that can, you know, accommodate that and bring out the story and bring out emotions and characters. And and one thing that's really important is the collaboration between composer and director and just making sure whatever their vision is and the team's vision is that the composer can kind of facilitate that and make it the best it can possibly be, basically.
1: That's just kind of like the teaser for the rest of it, but it'd be good to know how you got into it all.
2: My parents have been very supportive. I'm very um, lucky in that sense um, that I was taught piano from the age of four. And then as I grew up, I just wanted to play everything. So um, I think the age of seven, I started violin and then 10, 11, I started guitar. That quickly went on to, you know, I I was singing all along anyway. I actually only had singing lessons in sixth form. Um, But yeah, and I think, I don't know. I think I was just writing songs all the time on my piano. And then when I got to GCSE, um, they said, "Okay, part of the course is that you have to compose two pieces in these different um, genres of music. So it could be uh, neoclassical or classical and then maybe a popular song. And I was like, yeah, I've done that. Do you want it? I've got a few. Which one one should I submit? And they were like, huh? Like they basically made me do the course in a year because I'd already done half of the project. Um, uh, I was just like super eager that was one thing that was really annoying about me as a child is I was just so passionate and eager. Like, all the other kids would be like, all right, calm down. Um, which didn't deter me at all. Uh, and, then, and then I did A-level music, music tech and film studies and a little bit of uh, theatre, um, which is all the fun subjects, which are actually really hard. You've got to write essays and things as well, which for such creative practical subjects are hard. Um, but in terms of going on to film and TV... I think a lot of things changed from when I was about maybe four, 13, 14. My mum submitted my... She didn't tell me this. She submitted my music to a Sound and Music summer school because she was just looking up things for me to do in the summer. So she found this thing and you had to submit music. So she took my music without asking and just submitted it. Um, but she did it really late in the in the game, so... I got in, but they only had a few places left on different groups. Um, so there are lots of different groups. of vocal, percussion. These are all compa- composing kind of groups that you form and you might write music. So I got added to the advanced composition group, which sounds clever. But really what it meant was contemporary classical, which is the most difficult kind of crazy composing there is. And it was just... Me and a bunch of boys, like, I was just like sat there like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, But it was so much fun and I made so many great friends. And then the next year, because I knew about the course, I applied early and I asked to do the film group one. Um, And I remember asking them, uh, they said, you know, what do you want to do when you're older? Like, what do you want to compose for? And I was like, I'd love to do like film and TV. And they're like, oh, that's a bit difficult. It's very competitive. And I was like, oh, okay.
1: I hate when adults do that. It's like, that's always like the line, isn't it? It's like, yeah, no, don't do that because it's difficult.
2: Well, at one point my mum was like, um, don't go into music, pick something else. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll be an actress. And she was like, no, no, stick stick to the music, stick to music. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why yeah. that, that was better in her mind. Um, maybe it's because I'm not that great at acting, who knows. But I went I went on to um, study at Guildhall, as you said, and that was very contemporary classical, although Guildhall was very open to lots of different kind of realms of composing but um there was a big emphasis on concert composing or um opera and things like that and uh i went to in my year was a really talented composer benjamin rimmer um who's been with Decca and he's composed loads of contemporary things he's doing really really well um and then another friend of mine ed sanders who um actually lives really close to me, it's really cool. And uh, he's he's been doing loads of stuff in musical theatre. Um, so yeah, and then I think I, at the end of that course, they said, what do you want to do? And I thought, okay, well if film and TV is difficult, maybe I'll do video games, because I love video games. Um, so I made a whole spreadsheet and everything, and I went to all the conventions, I actually started scoring for video games and doing a bit of sound design here and there. Um, and then a year and a half after graduating from Guildhall, I thought, "What's happened to my dream of film and TV? Like, where have I lost that?" And I remembered that there was this thing, the National Film and Television School, which you and I went to, Marcus. That place, that place. And um, funnily enough, my sixth form, I didn't actually go the same time as him, but we used to do panto together, and I knew him um, was Sega Nakanola, who does the Doctor or who did the Doctor Who soundtrack which is crazy
1: it's a good person to do panto with i know
2: (laughs) so he's a he's a percussionist he's a drummer so he would be in the drums and my mate Chappers would be behind me playing um bass guitar and then i'd be kind of closer to the middle playing piano guitar violin whatever else was needed it was such a laugh i miss those days um but basically he helped um give me some advice when i was applying to conservatoire to Guildhall because he went to birmingham conservatoire um and then when i applied for the nfgs i know that he went so i asked um some advice from him um and he never gave me a leg up or anything but he was just very useful very helpful in helping it's, it's helpful
1: to know what the process is right because i heard your like your whole process for getting in is insane
2: I think it used to be more insane because um, I think you used to have to go there and basically they'd give you a room and say, you have this much time to compose, which I don't think they do anymore. I think now it's they give you a couple of tracks, a couple of films, and then you score to it and then you send it. And then if you get through the next round, they might give you the next few clips. It's so long ago now, I can't remember. Um, I think they give you feedback at one point. If you get through to a certain round, you get a workshop interview. I'm giving the game away. I'm literally telling everyone the process now. They might change it. um, But the one thing I do... That's it,
1: right? There's so many rounds. Yes,
2: so many rounds. It takes like
1: months and months to get through the whole thing.
2: Yeah, and I remember when I went to the open day, they were like, so if you get through to this round, you know, the workshop round, make sure you don't book any holidays around this time. And sod's law, I would booked a holiday with my friend. So I was like, oh, damn, what am I going to do? So I basically didn't... I joined them a couple of days later. So I did the workshop interview, joined them a couple of days later. But once you get through the workshop interview, if you reach the next round, they then send you more clips to compose to. So I was literally in Spain. My We would like party during the day and then they'd go to bed at night and I'd have my laptop open. I was just composed during the night. And my, my laptop was so rubbish, it kept crashing. So my friend said all she could hear when she was asleep was like the computer trying to like restart. Um... But yeah, somehow through all that craziness, uh, I managed to get in, and uh, I'm really glad because my my year group was just so fab, um, such a great group of guys and girls. And
1: I think a lot of people they see people who kind of leave and do well and whatever else and think it's just because the film school happens but it's kind of not that right it'd be good to know if you went in with a plan and if you executed that plan you kind of use film school to propel you
2: yeah it's crazy because I don't think I necessarily had a plan I think my my parents, um, like I said, were very supportive, but they weren't that sure about me going to the NFTS because I was already doing some stuff before and they were thinking, you know, why do you need to be spending more money? Um, because, uh, y- you know, I do come from a certain privilege background of having, you know, we're not wealthy, but we have money. They've given me um, lessons in the past and I'm white and I understand all this stuff. But at the same time... My parents didn't pay for any of my tuition fee for NFTS, and they didn't. And I also they didn't pay for any of my living situations, anything like that. So the reason I mention all this is because a lot of people go to the NFTS, and it's just so much work and it's so much struggle. So my plan was basically to move there, get jobs teaching in the area. So I used to teach in the evenings, and also I taught a theatre school on a Saturday. So that was basically my main source of income, and I wouldn't have been able to do. Um, course without it so a big shout out as well to Universal Performing Arts who were the theatre school I worked for because I had a job with them before I uh, got into the NFTS but without that job I don't think I would have been able to do it and also I got a slight scholarship I think a few people got scholarships because of their financial situations so basically my plan was if I was going to do this thing I was gonna do it right. And i if I was gonna be putting all of this money and time and effort in, I was not gonna waste a single second. And it also helps that I'm like super passionate about what I do because when there's a project that I really enjoy the sound of like, all oh, these just ideas start tingling and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm so excited. And I think that, that translates to the director or to the um, designer or whoever's uh, creating the project. And again, speed isn't everything, but I'm actually quite quick when I compose, um, it kind of just goes like, there's a term called splurging. It's like a musical term where you basically just like put all the music out and then you refine it later. So I basically just splurge all the time and then kind of refine later. So sometimes I'd go up to the games department and I would have been working on a couple of games for a specific project. And I'd look around the room and I'd be like, so who here's not got music yet? And it's literally a day until their submission I'm like who's who's not got music and like a couple of them were like oh yeah well I was just gonna like get some library music or like something And I was like no, no no tell me what you want I'll get it for you and I literally just like run back to my studio and like create something and then throw it back and they'd be like oh my god this this fits well thank you so much and I would just be so happy that I would have created something bespoke for them because you're at the school you've got all these talented people who are different different crafts it's a shame not to use those and I think um, specifically like the games department. Um, they and you know well they're just creating. They're not just directing the project. They're creating yeah, it. So everything. all the all their yeah. time is taken up. So having people go to them and be like, "What do you need? I'm here to help." I think probably I hope was appreciated.
0: Just circling back to like your plan of wanting to do film and television. So obviously that was your pl- that you know that was your goal. You wanted to do that after you mm. one and a half years after uni decided. Mm. And obviously you were, you, you know, you were hungry to just do everybody's, like, work. What is it that sort of, like, from a learning point of view, were you getting? Was it was it a thing, of I just want to keep training the muscle, I want to keep training the muscle?
2: Yeah, I think before I went to the NFTS, um, it might have been a piece of advice Sagan gave me or someone else, where they basically said the best form of practice is just by doing. Um, but the problem is, well, how can you do that if you're not in the game already, like, if you haven't got projects that you're working on? So I used to just find videos online um sometimes it was films that didn't have music sometimes it, I could find a clip that the music had been taken off or a trailer I'd just mute and I would just sit and I would write music to these things and I just kept doing that um but the problem is is that y- you're kind of restricted. I think you have to spend a lot of hours trolling through stuff to find something specific or different, even. Um, a lot of the same stuff you find I found online. Um, so by going to the NFTS or by meeting people to collaborate with, you're basically putting yourself in a situation where I was creating so many different types of soundtracks. You know, I had completely classical scores of like just piano or strings all the way to, you know, super electronic stuff to... Rocky guitar, like, because I used to be in a rock band. I was, like, getting my guitar out and, like, jamming on the guitar and um, just different things like that. And then also everyone you work with is different and everyone likes to work in a different way. I think that you can... It's a, it's a dialogue that goes both ways. So directors and composers and other um, departments, you know, there is a bit of compromise and leniency that you can have if you want to make a team work. But for me, it's my job to be able to make the music work and therefore I have to kind of, I feel like by collaborating with all these different people, I'm learning all the different things that could work. So say I'm working with one person and they're like, you know, I don't want you to score to picture. Can you just create a piece first? I've had that experience, I've done that, you know, I did that with a few directors at the NFTS. Or say... Uh, the project is just overwhelming and noth- nothing's gone right and there's loads of reshoots which you no know, it's not particularly anyone's fault sometimes it's just that this is the nature of the industry but then everything that gets pushed back goes into post-production so then the sound designers and composers get a bit of a squeeze this is where it helps to be fast um but also it, it means that I'm having to respond really quickly to the visuals and really quickly and and also if you- if something has changed in the edit you have to readjust your perception of what that film is because it's changed. You can't just go, well, this is what it was, so I want to try and make it be what it used to be. No, 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 it's changed. So you have to kind of think, how can I make this version be the best it can be? So, yeah, I think just by working with so many different people, you kind of gain those those skills. I think that was the general plan I had.
1: <laughs> it's really important, though, like, to to just, I think, just keep doing, and keep doing, keep making, I think it makes you less precious and it puts less pressure on each of the individual projects so when you actually get the opportunity you're not kind of like panicking something out and if you get notes it doesn't feel as like your life's being attacked um but with that i guess like what did what did you learn during that sort of development incubation period of working on so many smaller projects and uh, working with people at various skill levels trying to communicate what they want but not necessarily being able to do that like what did you learn it'd be good to get some do's and don'ts <sighs> Don't drop names.
2: Uh, It's so interesting. I, I have to say, I don't think I had a single bad experience with a particular director at all. These things can happen. It's just the nature, again, of the industry and certain people vibe better with others and certain projects work better than others. And I've had some, you know, I had some difficult projects, but I think for me, it was always a matter of trying to make it work. So I think going back, I can only really think of specific examples. So there was one particular film... Um, and the director was very specific, but also didn't know what they wanted. So it's like the worst situation for a composer when a director says, oh, I don't know what I want, just create something. And you do, and they go, mm, it's not quite what I want. So you go, ah, so you do know what you want. You just..." But the thing is, like composers can get a little bit snooty about that, I think. They're like, oh, so you do know what you want. Like You could have just told me, no, no, maybe the director just... Doesn't know how to translate that. Doesn't know how to communicate that. So for me, I was like, "Hoo hoo!" I get to find out what it is—the secret thing that's hidden. Um, and actually, a composer in the year above me gave me some really good advice, and they said, "You know, don't just be blasting out loads of versions of different cues. If they don't, if they don't know what they want at all, you need to go find some example music or some temp or something. And it doesn't mean to say you put the temp on the edit, because then you know you can get temp love and things like that. But just finding some tracks to just kind of give them a taste of what they might want. Um, So I did that, and we landed on a few aspects that they really, really liked. They're like, oh, I love this instrumentation. I was like, great, that whittles it down for me. I can do something with that. Um, And it just started more of a dialogue. Like, we had something to talk about. You know, they could, instead of them coming up with things out of thin air, they could respond to things that they were coming to them without me having to put in loads of time and effort basically getting it wrong until I get it right. Um, But then essentially that's what it did become. And also with this particular director, um, I kind of quickly got the impression that if they said they liked something or they said they wanted something or didn't like something, that was it. There was no compromise. That's what they decided. Um... Which in a way is kind of good because then you're not fixed or like waiting for them to, you know, change their mind later. But the problem is, is that they would say, "Cool, let's go with this. Let's do, let's do that." So I'd do it, and then later we'd get a review note back to say, "Oh, that that particular thing's not working." So then, in in you know, very graciously, this director would actually come back and say, "Oh, I think he, I gave you a bad note there." Little did they know. I, I'd already composed an alternate version, just in case. Um, and this isn't me being like, oh, I bet they're wrong. Because I did it even even when I thought I was right. Like, even if I thought, oh, this is the version I like, and they went with the version I liked, I would still create a ne- another version that was slightly different. So I always had multiple versions, because it was very, it was a very stressful project and everything was very quick. So I just thought, I'm going to save myself time if I just do different things. And even if they came back to me and said, can we do it a bit like this? And my alternate version wasn't quite the same. I could just dip into that and just change it slightly. So I'd just be like, they'd be like, oh, I think I gave you a bad note there. Could we do it a bit more like this, actually? And I'd go, yep, here you go. And they'd be like, oh, cool, great. Um, so I think the only thing I actually had to work on lots for that was um, a credit sequence. Um, just because, again, it, sometimes you do just need to put in the extra work and. You know, you can celebrate at the end when it's when it's all done. Um, but that was a really good film, um, so I'm glad I put in the, the time and effort for it. But yeah, that, that's that's one thing. Um, and also another thing that a lot of directors, what I learned, there's a there's this thing that all directors say, well not all the directors, but a lot of directors say, which is um, they go, <laughs> they're like they they go, um, oh, I just you know I'm not a musician, so I'm really sorry if I like explain this wrong because um, I don't know anything about music. And it's really sweet and endearing and uh, it always makes me smile because it shows they're being caring and trying to say, you know, I understand that your craft is something you're trained in so I'm not going to talk to you like I know everything that you've learned in the last 10, 20 years. Um, but at the same time, we don't expect you to. Um, and if you do, great. But if you don't, also great. You know, it's, it's not about knowing the terminology. It's not about knowing, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, do you think that trumpet could just turn down a little bit? And I'm thinking, there's no trumpet there. <laughs> it's, it's something else. But again, you can be really snooty about that because I could be like, oh, there's no trumpet there. What are, they, what are they talking about? But actually, there's a sound that sounds like a trumpet. So in my mind, I just go, oh, they're just talking about that sound. I don't have to say to them, oh, do you mean this sound? Because I know they mean that sound. It's just, again, it doesn't matter about what you say. As long as as long as long things are clear, as long as you're like, oh, so you mean the sound that comes in at this time. Cool. I'll just turn that down. You know, you just need to be clear about things. It's not about wanting each other up and knowing, knowing things.
1: When I write things, I almost like hear music in my head a bit as well, like, and kind of write sequences in, but I can't get that out. It became a thing of having to like retrain my brain to be like, okay, I need music and it needs to do this, but I can't start like doing some acapella beatboxing or something to try and get something across like you don't need to do that it's straight up just like emotion right
2: so for a director or say they have a music supervisor involved you know the 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 first job is to find the composer that you think will fit stylistically or emotionally or just you know you, you just vibe well where they understand who you are as a person so that's the first thing finding a composer that you think will really vibe with what you're hearing in your head but then after that you do need to kind of relinquish a little bit so, for me, I, I used to create some albums, EPs of music, and I'd go to a music producer to help me do that. And you'd think that a music producer wouldn't change much about the music, but actually things do change. Like, even just the, the sound of it, it just changes from the demo to what's created in the end. And I learned very quickly that you can't be fighting against them all the time to make it exactly what you want. To get the best out of it, you need to kind of give up some things or at least say... Um, you hear it in a way of like, I'm hearing it for the first time, not just what's been in my head the whole time. And then you're hearing it for the first time thinking, does this st- does this tell the story? Does this tell the emotion? Is this what I'm feeling inside? Because everyone else in the world, they won't know what's going on in your head either. So it is a compromise. Um, and that's not me to say, if you have a really specific sound that you want, and you've got lots of time and you, you and the composer work really well together keep going at it until you find the sound that you really love and that's what you need. But also the best directors I've worked with have been clear and direct but also really open about things. They like it's like they they hear it. and also I think our tutor um so the head of music at NFTs who I think um they've changed it now but um he's still there John Keane. He said um always watch something twice. Or- hmm. I always like to think maybe three times, I don't know. But two, twice, because the first time you see it, it's a bit of a shock to the system. You're kind of watching it, and you're taking it in for the very first time. So you don't say anything, and then you just like play it again. And then the second time, you've kind of relaxed into it a bit more, and you're kind of taking it in properly. You're not just hearing everything for the first time. You're kind of listening to it again, and you're really feeling what it is. So that's also a really good piece of advice for any directors working with composers. Just whenever you receive something, listen to it twice, because mm. then you get a better reaction after the second time.
1: I remember listening to stuff for the first time and my first instinct is to hate it, <laughs> usually, even if I love it.
2: <laughs> so, I, when I compose sometimes, I write something, I'm writing it and I'm like, oh, this is so rubbish, I hate what I'm doing, this is terrible. And then like, I'll listen to it like a day later and go, hmm, maybe it's not too bad.
0: <laughs> Before we jump into the heartstopper conversation... I've got a couple of craft questions I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you. When I did my first short film, actually I did I did the diverse directors course at NFTS, and I was very lucky to work with um, and I don't know how we got her, but Nanita Daisy, and she's like it was just mad. Like he he is me sort of like like narratively illiterate speaking to someone of her stature mm. level, and. She was and, and like yourself, she was rapid, she was so quick, but she was so like open to allowing me to sort of like try and communicate, and she just listened to what I was trying to do with the character mm. so my question to you Adi, is what what is the purpose of scoring films, and does it differ film to film?
2: yeah that's a really interesting question um it it It's like you kind of answered it in your second question, you had like two questions, and it was like your second question it's like what you know does it change for like different projects I think whatever you're trying to do in music will change depending on the project um so part of the first bit of communication between yourself and the team and the director is discovering what that is and it's it is hard to put into words because you you don't know what you're going to discover and um that's part of the journey I think a lot of people should enjoy I think some people are a bit tentative or or Stressed, thinking, what am I going to do with the music? Like, what is the music trying to say? It's like, no, that's the that's the joy of it. That's the joy of discovering it, and it can it can change very. I think uh, the main thing is the story, uh, as vague as that sounds. So, whatever the story is that you're trying to tell, you know, say it's um, a story of adventure. Uh, You want the music to feel like it's going somewhere, or say it's. a story of romance you know it's finding those like in heart stuff with those fluttery heartbeats and things like that or say it's humor you know you want the music to kind of elevate that and I think is sometimes you also have to consider what the other team members are doing so say for instance you're doing a film that's really humorous um so the acting's funny and the editing like the cuts are really funny and the outfits are funny say the sound design has some cool sounds in it I don't know, say the music then is really funny. It might be a bit overkill. So that's not to say that you're saying, right, this is the story, so that's what the music's going to do. It's No, this is the story, and this is what everyone's doing. How can the music help accommodate all those different um, things? So it could be that. To make it really funny, you do a really serious score. So then when they're like watching all this comedic stuff, you're hearing something really serious and it kind of like just sounds completely bizarre. And that in itself is humorous. It's like juxtap- juxtaposing music. So, so you have something that's, you know, there's so many s- scenes that you could think of where, you know, so there's like a fight scene and they play some really chill track or, um, you know, just things like that. So it, it, that's, that's the general part of it. And then for me as well, I've done a lot of um dramas recently. And so therefore I feel like the main thing that I always try and instill in my music is the emotion behind a certain character. And you could have multiple characters in a shot. There might be two that you're flipping between, or it could be, usually be one of them that you're coming from. It's their perspective. And there's just something I just find so beautiful about music is you can have like a layer of music and then there's just like one little element underneath that's kind of hidden but without it this wouldn't happen and that one element of music just kind of like brings out just pulls at something so as you're listening to it and you're watching it you're like really feeling what they're feeling and it could be a feeling of like stress or or dread or a feeling of or a feeling of like warmth like a hug and it's just like a little a little something that comes in that's just like mm, that's such a nice little hug
0: what what, what i thought was really pr- prevalent in your work Adi, on heartstopper was that you know like in screenwriting we don't it's not it's not writing novels, so we don't have the thoughts or like third dimension of thought mm. but when you've but with what with what some of what you were doing was like the internal monologue of what was going on with mm. the characters on the screen which isn't on the page yeah. and can't be said because we can't see a thought and i really really like that and i think that that definitely resonated with the audience in terms of well me as a viewer how it how it made us feel
2: yeah that was that was definitely thing is again it's like I don't really feel like I have plans or aims when I do stuff I kind of just watch it and it just comes out I know it sounds really like I don't know blowing my own horn or whatever but like it's something so natural and intuitive and that's where it's the whole thing of like you don't want to overthink stuff when you're writing things you don't want to be like overthinking it and putting the whole kit throwing the whole kitchen sink at it and doing it in like one massive go you kind of just all the stuff you've learned you Leave in the context of your mind, and then it will just naturally come out when you're doing stuff. Um, And I think one of the main reasons, or at least what I was told uh, when I got Heartstopper, one of the main reasons I got it is because they felt I connected with the characters. I was obsessed as soon as they showed me, as soon as as soon as I was pitched the show and they and I read the comics, I read the the graphic novels that um, Alice Oseman wrote. I was just hooked. Like even if I hadn't got the job. I would have just been, I would have been binging that show. And like, I've already got all the volumes of the books and the yearbook. Um, so I just love the show and I love the characters. And yeah, I, it's just one of those shows that has really, actually has brought out the best of me as well. I know that sounds really corny to say, but there's a lot it's of shows such that a good I, fit, Yeah, It's it, such a good fit though. It, yeah, it, it really is. like, I think just the sound of what they were hoping the music would be, um fit who I was and just the show in itself it's just so bright and bubbly and you know I'm not always bright and bubbly but I kind of like I don't know I have this kind of bright and bubbly aura to myself that I feel like there's a playfulness
1: I think to your to your music as well which comes out and I think that's what the show is Um,
2: yeah yeah that being said then when I wrote um consent so that was uh, I don't know if you guys saw that on channel four Uh, Which is fantastic. It created such a debate. Um, But my God, it was so dark. Like, I won't spoil it, but the ending is just horrific um, Mm. mentally. And um, again, I really enjoyed that because, again, it did have that... There was a bit of humour to it, but in a bit of a twisted way. And I loved bringing that out in, like, the strings and stuff. And... um, uh, but the, but I'm also, I'm a, yeah, string player. is like violin, viola, cello are like some of my main instruments. So I got to, I love being really expressive. And like when you, when you play a violin and it kind of just lightly touches the string, there's this fragility to it. That's almost like the thing, could the whole, the whole thing could just break. Or it's like when you like bow right next to the bridge and it creates this like sound. And it's like, it feels like you're going to be pulled apart. Like, I feel I feel emotions and I feel things like very intensely. So even from the flip side of heartstopper when I get when I go back to the other side it's like it it all feels emotion for me feels physical. I don't know if that makes sense. There's a physical there's a there's a physicality to it. Um, and also in consent um, I managed to create this little ring tone for the kind of whatsappy sound effect so it was like our own sound so we weren't um, plagiarising anyone we had our own sound and then I used that sound and I sampled it and put it into a synth so all the synths that you hear in that show as well is of that one sound is of the one notification sound because the whole the electronics in that is is showing the the lads having their conversations on the phone kind of texting each other and so it was always that sound that case so there was there's always a synergy in the music cuz since since can do anything so having yeah, something that yeah. sounds similar kind of ties it all together amazing um so yeah there's a lots of different elements that just you can really enjoy in music for sure
0: so just quick just quickly cuz obviously we've spoken about how to stop a little bit now so how how did you go about landing that job like what what was that journey like for you
2: so um interestingly i think Marcus said earlier know is it, it, plans of, you know, going to, is it the NFTS that got you to where you are? Um, Funnily enough, the NFTS did send out an email from, because the producer, Zorana, she's uh, an alumni of NFTS. And they weren't just looking at the NFTS, I don't think. I think uh, I heard from other people, they were looking in lots of different places for both established and upcoming composers. But they sent an email out to myself and my year group and the year above, and I was, like, assisting and doing loads of shorts at the time, so I was really busy. And I think a few of my friends were writing... Like, not pitches, but, like, writing music to submit. And uh, because it was... I don't know, I think I asked them a question of, like... I They said what they wanted the music to be, and then I asked an even more deeper question, which I don't know if they were annoyed by, but I was just trying to, like, really try and get into the mindset of what they actually wanted. Um, so I submitted two pieces. Um, one of them I haven't released yet. It's... um this big orchestral electronic piece that I did. Uh, Hopefully I'll create a music video for that at some point and uh, show the world. Um, And then uh, the other one was from Everything's Broccoli, which is um, an album, well, an EP. It's like three tracks from a film I did uh, with my friend Kate Wallace, which is all about fractals, uh, which I won't go into because it's a long conversation. But essentially I created fractal music, so it's like reoccurring melodies squished super fast and then when you do it at different ratios they create different pitches and then you can recreate the melody from its melody it's a melody of its melody (laughs) so nerdy um so anyway I like sent them all that stuff and they said they liked it and so the next process I think a few people were asked to watch eight I think it was like eight minutes of the first episode and then score about one two minutes of the first cue So I did three different versions um, and I submitted those. And I was just, I was just like...
1: Did they ask for three versions?
2: I don't remember. I think maybe they did or maybe it was like two or three versions. Okay. okay. I think, again, John Keenan always said to us, you know, try and submit three. Three is a good number. Three is the magic number. So I sent three. It It was like two of them were kind of serious, like cues, as in when I say serious, as in, these are what I thought they should be. And then the third one was like a bit of a wild card. It was like, and now I'm going to do something kind of a bit weird. Um, They were all similar sounds, but it was just done in different ways. And I think um, it was probably a little bit area, like when I say area, like kind of a bit more um fantastical and kind of fluid and like the music feels a bit like whereas na- now the music in Heartstopper it's very punchy so I had mm. elements mm. of that in my pitch but um I think it was just generally like the connection I had with the characters and the emotion um and then I think the the, the who is it the producer called me really late one night I think I was out on a date and I said to the person on the date, I was like if I look at my phone it's not because I'm being rude I never do that but I will look at my phone if it, if it calls. And so they called. Um, and yeah, and I got the job and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, so it's crazy. But just to say as well, though, um, when, I, when I graduated, I joined an association, which I think a lot of um, composers, particularly female and non-binary composers, should know about. It's the AWFC. It's the Association of Women Film Composers. And you basically can sign up and become part of their directory. they put on loads of events. And... The now agent, the, the agent I have now, the day that I was signing with her, I got an email that morning from someone saying, "Hey," and this is before anyone knew about Heartstopper. They're like, "Hey, I found you. I found you on this directory. There's a documentary that we're going to try and pitch some composers for for the BBC. Would you be interested?" And unfortunately, I had to say to them, "Well, I'm I'm literally just signing with an agent now, so that that never happened." But it kind of gave me a little bit of comfort to know that if I hadn't landed. Heartstopper. there's always you know it could have I could have you know done some other things and it would have been great would have so been all right. yeah it would have been all right and yeah. it's just again there's so many things you can do I've just uh, after all the effort and time I've put in I think I've been incredibly lucky <laughs> so
1: I mean I think they say what well, luck is when preparation meets opportunity right yeah An opportunity might come along and you're not in any position to capitalize on it or do it justice so um and so I guess like you'd signed you, you signed on to do the show Mm-hmm. um you accepted the job I'm mm-hmm. sure after a lot of deliberation and yeah um, no. <laughs> <laughs> what was the jump off point what were the first conversations of the the showrunners creators and studios and, and directors like if if at all um uh, yeah and how did uh, you get going
2: so so this is a bit strange so I think when we started when I when I got the show I already said yes to doing it and I think um was told the few and just said yeah i literally like when you when you joked about me like thinking about it there was literally not a second went by that i was just like yep i'll do it um so when i did um sign with my agent that was kind of after that happened um so then there was this strange situation where the contracts hadn't been signed but they were basically starting their preparations of like going into it and like creating music and i was sent the first episode to score to
1: whilst your agent's dealing with all the the dirty stuff
2: Yeah, and like a lot of composers don't have agents, by the way, so you don't have to have an agent in the industry. But for me, I'm terrible at that sort of thing. I just want to get stuck into the creative side. So having an agent for me, she's been absolutely amazing, Uh, Leslie Jackson. Um, So she was sorting out all of that. And I've also learned since then that the industry can be kind of slow in terms of contracts. So there's a lot of faith that has to be had and... Even with, you know, really big composers, um, there have been situations where they've not signed a contract in time and they've delivered work and it's all gone a bit rubbish, basically. So you do need to be careful with these things, but also at the same time, the industry's fast, so you just got to do stuff. So the reason I mention this is because I I was scoring cues, drafts for app 1, and we had had a conversation, I think we just had a general team meeting and I spoke, we kind of, you go through a spotting session, which for people who don't know, it's when the composer, director, perhaps the editor, other people um, will sit down and they'll watch through an episode or, or a film and they will decide where the ins and out points are. These can change later, but it's a general, you know, this is where I want the queue to start and end. And what are the emotions we're feeling in this queue? What do we want to do? And you just have a general discussion discussion per cue, and a queue is a piece of music, um, throughout, um, so we did that, so I just set off composing, and like I said, I can be quite fast, um, I actually took my time, I think, with the first season, I really didn't want to get it wrong, <laughs> um, so I tried my best to kind of, yeah, uh, spend a good amount of time on it, and, um, the, I think the tricky part was, is that we hadn't signed the contract, so I was being told not, well, there was a there was a conversation that I shouldn't perhaps send stuff until things had been signed, Um, So then when things were signed, I'd essentially composed the whole of the first episode. Um, So I sent it off and got a a phone call back from the director Eros. And he's such a lovely guy, such a lovely director. And he basically said, you know, thank you so much for all all, all the work. I don't think it's quite right. And I was like, no! (laughs) Like... I was th- I was thinking, oh gosh, no! What did I do? And uh, this is the thing is that I was very in my head at that point because it was my first big gig, and I didn't want to screw it up. And
1: had they given you any direction at that point, though, of where to start? Yeah, yeah. they
2: were like we. They were like we liked these elements of your pitches. We'd kind of like it like this, and you know they didn't they didn't want to show me any temp. So I was mm. going kind of in a bit blind of like what they had specifically chosen for each one. Um. So. It was, yeah, it, it was kind of like, they wanted something that would be original, and that when people heard it, they'd go, that's Heartstopper, which I think I've done now, but, um, but you know, it wasn't an easy ride to begin with, and, and I, I say all this like it was some big to-do, but actually it happened very quickly. I submitted it, we had a conversation, you know, he gave me, a re- he said, you know, we know that you... You know, you know the character so well. Like that's why we chose you. We know you're good at what you do. Just give it another go. Like these are the things that we want it. We want it to be more punchy. Like things like this. And so I kind of like, you know, pulled myself up and was like, snap out of it. Like you're gonna do it. It's gonna be great. Hmm. Um, And then literally, I think like the next few times I I drafted it, it was it was great. I think the first episode I spent the most time on because I wanted to get the sound right. And once the sound was correct like once we were we had all been communicating back and forth like I send music they give me feedback um I think all the other episodes were great like I think episode five I only did a few cues but there was no feedback on those um great and now in season two it's like I mean I won't say how much I've done but the stuff that I have done it's just been so enjoyable and I think it's because the show has a sound to it now so yeah. kinda of, you get past it's that established
1: whole, right you're not like screwing around in the dark trying to discover what the whole thing is it's like you're building off of a platform now
2: yeah so i think that's the thing is like people think oh you need to kind of be working hard all the time like no no once you once you discover that sound it, it's a lot easier
0: when you handed the first one in and it, and, and it wasn't quite there and then you went back like what actually happened because you're right it has got a very it's got its own distinct sound to it you know like a lot of it feels very nostalgic but I, but not specifically nostalgic because yeah. obviously you work fast and you and obviously like you were talking about splurging and just getting it out. What, what, what was it? Was it like those are the first ideas I need to get under the surface and get to the next ones? What was it?
2: I think the general my I feel like I have a good intuition for the structure of a cue and the structure of the music. But I think what I'd done is I had a lot of because um, they wanted like light synths and and so I created all these arpeggiators, which you can hear in the show. But there was they were they were very high and fluttery, and it was just a bit too sweet and a bit too Disney and a bit too kind of it was just going off a bit too far that direction so I think what I had to do is basically just pull that back and um, I think I'd already done in my pitches something similar but perhaps I didn't um, push this enough so what I did is I then went down to the lower registers and I found all the heartbeats so I had the the kick drums and the really percussive bass synths Um, and I basically took off loads of reverb I was like this stops we need to stop swimming in heaven we need to come back down to earth a bit and feel it it's like it's kind of that there's like an element of nostalgia and yearning but then there's also this kind of um, grounding of just your your feet are so firmly on the ground but you like you can't move you're just in like such awe of this person you're just like I don't know. It's I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but I think yeah, I took out, I took out a lot of the higher stuff and I kind of balanced it with some more lower stuff and p- took the reverbs away so it was less floaty and it just kind of punched it a bit more and um yeah.
0: It's it's mixed it's mixed so well. Like everything is 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 in its right sort of like pitch frequency and everything, you know, there's space in, in how you've mixed it. So obviously since you were 4 you've been playing the piano and you become a multi instrumentalist When did you learn about sort of like mixing and understanding, you know, like instruments having their own space when they're all together?
2: Well, firstly, thank you so much for admiring the mix, because I don't think I'm very good at mixing things. Um, Obviously, I'm friends with a lot of talented people. So when you see what they do, you think, oh, gosh, I wish I was so good at like so good at that. Um, But mm, interesting. I'm trying to think. I've always demoed things so again it's that whole thing of you learn by doing so I was also a, an original artist and I also did a lot of um I was in a rock band so we'd create a lot of demos together and so we had to do these things ourselves and listening back on a lot of the stuff it wasn't that great but that that's but that's that's fine like it was so fun at the time and like we were learning as you go and I think when you listen back to things you think oh, maybe it was a bit tinny, or, oh, it's a bit, f- like, the bass sounds a bit, f- like, <laughs> I don't know, f- floppy, <laughs> flumpy, I don't know, just sounds, like, wrong. It just sounds wrong. Um, So then you kind of tweak things, and the more you tweak stuff, and the more you get used to things, the better you get, and um, it's funny, every time I created something new, I would think, this is the best thing I've ever done! Looking back at all the other things that I've done, not as good, and I think that's because you progress. Um, So that's probably how we got to it and i remember i i did mix all of hearts of myself for season for season one um i've got a friend helping me for this season just because the turnaround's a lot quicker and i'm working on multiple projects um so marl sullivan is helping me
0: well that is that you know that is something that people like generally even directors don't know about like Mm. like back in the day when like some of my friends used to do music and whatnot like they'd actually have to have a separate engineer like for example, Jay-Z used to have young Guru when he was at the height of his fame, who was a specific sound engineer who knew how to mix him, mm-hmm. how to layer his vocals and how to like, do his music. And it's a, it is a it is a skill that, you know, you and other composers have of actually understanding mixing. It's not just about the creative and putting the instruments together. It's actually understanding It's a whole different skill. And I, And I just wanted to just sort of like give you your props for that because it is fucking hard to mix
2: yeah no i think it's just interesting i'm trying to think of like an analogy of like how to explain to people who don't know about mixing um i guess it would be a little bit like say you have a, a table a buffet of food and you know you've got your starters and your mains and you've got your desserts um if you just put all the foods like just tons of dessert it's just going to be really sweet in one area, it's just gonna like piling high. Um, so you need to kind of distribute the food around, so it's like equally spread. Everyone, everyone can get to a piece of food. If you start piling things up, say you've got too much base, you know your starter's mm. just really heavy. You're not gonna have any. It's just you're, you're not gonna appreciate the dessert later. I hope this analogy is working. But it's no, no, fa- no, I'm getting
1: it. You want the perfect plate. I get it. You want yeah. the perfect plate. Yeah. You want the perfect spread yeah. of food. Based of the elements, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: based off the elements, exactly. So say for instance, you have like a, a guitar. You uh, know, a guitar, you might think is a higher instrument. But actually, it's got frequencies going on everywhere. So it's got starters, mains, and desserts. But the thing is, like, once you then introduce your drums and your bass, and maybe your keys, maybe the vocals are warm in the middle. Um, they might be a bit higher as well. You basically want to take out all of the starters and mains of your guitar and just like put more of it in the dessert. So therefore, it balances equally.
1: Mm.
2: So that's kind of how you have to perceive it. It's like see, hearing everything equally
1: and there's a whole thing right which i kind of discovered at the film school which I didn't know before was just from like certain scenes the sound design can work within a certain set of frequencies and like the music has to really work off of that by being almost outside of it slightly mm. so that um otherwise it can just all go a bit muddy and clash so like there mm. needs to be like some sort of crazy synchronicity going on yeah. Um, and vocals have to sit above that yeah or whenever yeah. they're
0: going to sit in the frequencies as well it's, it's
1: such a dance between all of the departments um and i guess i guess with that in with that in mind um uh, i think heartstop has got like a really sort of like strong tone to it because because there's there's a world in which or an execution in which that is made and it, people are just like oh it's like sex ed or it's kind of its own thing mm-hmm. so it's it's and that's because of the way it's, it's executed. So I was keen to know if um, uh, if there was any sort of like documents or communication that was passed around which kind of created that tone. You don't have to say specifically what that would be. Uh, but... As
2: in like the tone overall or like the musical tone? Yeah,
1: yeah. How did the, the directors or the creatives or the showrunners, like how did they create that tone? Were you privy to any of that?
2: No, well, I think uh, generally my my only conversations were around the music. But I feel like this this is a show where everyone who's involved, there's this amazingly magical synergy between what everyone's doing. And I think that comes down to a lot of the main people involved, like Eros, the director, and um, Alice Oseman, the writer. um her and one of the exec producers, Patrick Walters, they had a really good communi- line of communication where I think Alice was... I think I remember there's some interviews with the actors where they would be shooting a scene and someone would say, oh, you know, do do this now. And the actors would look at Alice and Alice would be like, mm, "Like she'd be like frowning, like, mm. I don't know, I'm paraphrasing, by the way, but she'd be like, she'd be like, I don't know, she'd like pull a face or something and then they'd be like, no, I don't think that's the right thing we'll do because she knew the the show so well, um, and then they might say, "Oh, um, how about uh, what, what do we what should we do for this?" And then maybe I don't know. There was a conversation between Patrick and Alice where, like, I think they chose a lot of the. I'm paraphrasing a lot because, like I said, I didn't ha- I wasn't privy to these conversations, but I think the the commercial tracks, the sync tracks. So we had a a a couple of. Um, music supervisors involved who, who could choose um, select music for that. But I think maybe Alice and Patrick, I have a slight feeling that they had quite a lot of input in that as well because Alice, when she wrote the books, she she created these characters and she created these places. Like, when you look at the kiss scene from season one, if you look at the comic and then you look at the film, they look the same. Like, they've just... The casting has won awards because the casting is just so good. The set design and just the general, like, you know, outfits and colours and things like that. It just, it all, I mean, I think the the books are in um, black and white, but the, she has coloured things and it's just, it just fits just so well. And I think... I think in the end, I think all of it comes down to Alice and this this amazing story and this amazing world that she's created. And I think even in the books, it says, you know, I am this character and these are my favorite things and this is my favorite song, and it could be like a Taylor Swift song or like something else. And I think these are all things that every every person in the team of Heartstopper, I think, has has um, sunk into and they've like really like soaked soaked up basically. Um, and I think for me, I, I didn't know what the score essentially would be. I think it was all very intuitive. But I think the thing that I sponged up from the books was this feeling of nostalgia, this feeling of young love, this feeling of yearning, this feeling of warmth. And like when you read the books, you just feel so comforted. And I think the music, when you listen to the OST... I'm hoping it's like comforting, you're like brought back to this safe place, this world. Um, so yeah, I think that's generally how the show has the tone that it has is because of Alice and um what she what she did in the books.
1: So I guess she's like the unifying force, right? I guess from creating it and being present throughout the entire process.
2: Yeah, and then and then everyone who's you know, heads of their departments and, and obviously Eros, the director who it's just such a fantastic director and has clearly created you know the vision that Alice had he's he's created this beautiful masterpiece which is the 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 show um and i just think that yeah it's just it's just i think they did they made all the right choices basically by choosing a team that they thought would fit the best but then also trusting everyone to do their jobs the way that they are trained they see fit it's no one pushing anyone else we're all just completely doing our own thing and it's just working i think it's very rare to find a show like that coming from someone who hasn't worked on that many shows i think it is quite rare just from the outside looking in it's quite rare to see such a unified project
1: and i guess like were you providing sketches during the actual editing process or was it all edited and you were doing it after the fact when you're editing without music it can sometimes like when you put the music on everything can feel much faster
2: Mm, yeah,
1: and there might not be enough space for music, or like you might need more space. I was, yeah, I was I was intrigued to know if people edited to sketches, which would be kind of like early, early, early drafts splurges, as you would say
2: Spl- splurges. Well, it's interesting because I think also like directors and editors have a really great um, collaboration between them, and uh, this can be the point where they might decide to put on temp music, and it could even just be music that helps create a pace. It doesn't have to instrumentally or tone-wise fit the picture, but to create a pacing and they just put it on, edit it, and then they take it off or maybe they leave it on or who knows. Um, I think in, in in season one, they did temp it with things, um, but they didn't like showing me. Uh, a couple of times I had to see because I really wanted to see. I'm actually really good with temp, I think. I love temp. Um, it is annoying if people listen <laughs> to something and they get... I love temp. It's not I think... that
1: convincing, but... no no no
2: (laughs) i really do like there's some composers like oh temp is just so difficult like to because they just want the temp basically but i kind of find it's like a weird fun pastiche thing where you're not pastiching you're basically finding the element that you you're kind of like mind reading the director into thinking so what is it about this track the only times that really fails is if they have chosen that track because of their own nostalgia because you can't fake that no, no composer can ever recreate the feeling you have of a song you heard when you were ten.
1: Just, I guess, just for the audience, um, like temp music is where you literally, as you're editing, so you can find the rhythm of a scene, you'll choose a track which might fit, and usually that amounts to something you've seen in a film you already like somewhere, yeah. And then you get a bit married to it, and then you can't imagine anything else being in the scene, yeah. So when it comes to composing, it can cause.
2: If that happens, though, and then you create a score and it does work, you're like, hehehe, I won, not the temp. So, yeah, it is a pain. Um, But no, they didn't let me listen to much temp in season one. And I was like, they wanted something really original. And then Mm. I did listen to a few things. I forget now what I heard, but... um, There was a few things that I I heard. Um, And then I think... But no, I got them after picture lock. So that's once the edit is finished and they don't edit anymore. They're just completely finished editing. So I would get the picture lock. We'd go through a spotting session and then I would create all the cues. And it was... I felt very safe, like, for my first job. I felt like I didn't have to worry about recuts and I felt like, you know, I had a good amount of time on each one. Um... But season two, season two is interesting because we haven't we haven't finished it yet. But um, the turnaround's a lot quicker. Um, everyone's just so eager for the show, so we have to like get it done for you all. Um, but they again don't want to show me any temp, and I'm really glad actually that I'm not hearing any temp because I think they temp I I think they are temping it with my stuff from season one, so that's kind of nice.
1: Right, yeah.
2: A couple of times in a spotting you now session. You temp
1: music. Yes. <laughs> you have evolved.
2: Well that's ha- that's what happened with Waterloo Road. So once I did the first kind of batch, which has already been released, um, we've now had we've got lots of other episodes coming. And um I can't I don't know how much I can say, so I won't say how many they are. But um we've got lots of ep- episodes coming and so they basically just started temping it all with my music. Um so it just made it a lot easier to then score because it was music that I'd already done but no with um the second season of Heartstopper yeah I haven't heard I haven't heard any temp I don't know I think I've, I've sneakily tried to ask I've been like oh did you did you use this cue there and they're like we're not telling you and I'm like ah um but no it may it creates this really interesting thing where I'm really uh, it's fun for me to try and think of what cue I can put on there, or if I can do an original cue because there is some more original music coming as well. It's not all just stuff from season one. Um, but but that being said, I keep going on about Heartstopper not having not showing me temp. I don't think people should shy away from temp. Like I like we've said, there's there's a balance to it. Temp can be very useful if you're not sure specifically what music you want, but you also do need to keep in mind that you should only really do that if you know you're not going to like absolutely fall in love with it um and also be very careful of particularly of things like songs you know composers we create score and soundtrack you we can create songs um but the problem with songs is they have lyrics and so the lyrics can explain a lot more or there's like a different structure to it um so yeah it's it's there's never a right or wrong way of doing things there's just different amounts that you can lean one way or the other so just whatever project you're working on with the composer or director you know just find the best way that is you know the best version of doing that for you guys you can try stuff out and be like actually putting temp on really wasn't working let's just continue without any temp or vice versa yeah
0: when there's a soundtrack and when there's actual songs in the in the piece that you're working on how does that work with regards to what you're doing and just generally, as a as a, as a question, what are the purpose of actually actually licensed songs in 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 film? Um, for example, in Goodfellas, they use Layla when all the bodies are turning them after the mafia have just done a, a flurry of hits.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, because I'm not a music supervisor, so I think someone like that would be better at answering that question. But essentially, if you don't have a music supervisor, then I guess. Producers can sometimes fall into this category, or the directors do. Where they basically you just you find a track that uh, you find a bunch of tracks that you like and sync them. And for me, working with that, I I love working when people have because I don't I don't do that. That's what I'm saying. Um, so when it when they do do that, my favorite thing is when it's right next to one of my cues because then I'm like, how can I like make the music like blend into this track? Because the best thing about score is when you don't notice it like sometimes you do and it's great but I, my music I love when it just is just part like like you don't notice that it's there um, it's funny like a group of us went uh, w- watched season one when it came out and they wanted to do this thing where every time they heard one of my cues we'd take a shot or something um, of <laughs> apple juice um, and uh, it basically it got to the point where I think it was the kiss scene and my music started playing and everyone was just like staring at the screen and I was like where are the shots? Like, <laughs> I know this is, yeah. this, I, I've seen it, um, but I, I just didn't say anything because everyone was just like kind of enjoying it and they just didn't, they didn't notice the music had come in mm. and when you listen to it back, you, you know the music's there, it is definitely there. So anyway, when, when there's a commercial track, I want to make sure it's the same sort of pacing or the same um, pitch, so the same kind of notes or, I don't know, there's a lot of elements that you can do without completely changing your cue to fit the commercial track. You can kind of help it all blends together or like the way a, 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 a cue can finish and then that cue can start or the way it just kind of floats into it. You know, it's just a really... It's like any challenge you find as a composer, I tend to see as like some sort of fun... Yeah, fun challenge, like brain kind of sudoku, musical sudoku of like trying to find the best way of making it fit. Um, but there's, a, there's a, also a real nostalgia when it comes to songs. I think when you put a song in a film or a show... It, it it's all it's also quite montage-y, I think like it mm. it creates this be- it it creates a feeling where because you are listening to the music and the music you commercial tracks are a lot more um f- in the forefront in the foreground than than s- soundtrack and score is when you're watching something and you're hearing a song it's almost like you're You're like a fly on the wall. You're kind of like looking down. You're like having this out-of-body experience. You're like, you were the character. You are in the character. And then you have this out-of-body experience where you're like just appreciating this situation for whatever it is. It could be a horrible appreciation like, oh, my God, all these people being murdered or whatever. Or it could be like, I don't know. It's just like some sort of epic kind of montage, something that can really, really be pinpointed by the use of a commercial track. I hope that answers your questions. Mm, That's great.
1: I mean well, that's incredible for one. I think it's been super useful. What are your aspirations going forward for the next few years? You're doing stuff which at the minute is is it seems to be like centered around schools and stuff. So like
2: yeah, even consent was in like a private school. I feel like I have yeah. and I at the NFTS, I kept doing stuff with like kids because kiss um, no, kids chase was kids and when she was good with with kids and the film I did with uh, Margarita was with kids Mother, um what's it called motherhood. Basically, um, what I'm
1: trying to say is, when are you going to grow up, Addy? When are you going to grow oh, up? Oh,
2: never! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 interesting. I did a, I did a short film the other day that was um, a, a centered around uh this couple um moving moving in together, um so obviously they're not kids. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I I've done a lot. I've done some assisting on some things as well where it's been a lot more serious. Mm. I always get worried that I'm going to get pigeonholed into being this composer that is just doing all the light, fluffy stuff. And for a better term, that's not how I just I would describe it. But people see that on the surface. Yeah, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about me feeling emotion. Um, I really do think that um, there are lots of different types of composers out there. So whatever I say isn't a kind of get against how anyone else is. But I find that myself personally, as I'm like an empath. So there's being empathetic. And then when you're an empath, if I have the term correct, is whatever emotion you see in front of you, you feel yourself. So say someone is shouting at me, I will feel angry That's like, or like stressed, where it, which is kind of a typical emotion. I think people, anyone will feel angry and stressed if they're being shouted at. But say, say I see someone else shouting at someone else. Say so there's two people shouting at each other and it's nothing to do with me. I'll feel angry. I'll feel hurt i mean be like, why are they shouting at each other? Or, you know, I cry every single time, like, a charity ad comes on telly. They're just like, you know, these poor puppies have been given away. And I'm like, ah! Um, you know, and I It's I think whatever project I do go on to do, I think that I always will tap into what emotion is there. Yeah. Um, Oh, I am actually also doing a few documentaries at the moment, a couple of documentaries. Uh, and they're both... Quite, I won't t- talk about them too much, but they're both quite different. I think one's very serious and the mm. other one will hopefully be a little bit lighter. Um, but no, I think AIMS for me... So, actually, also, when I left the NFTS, this can going sound really bad, I didn't really have much... I, uh, confidence in myself in terms of like my ambition like I was just very happy to do whatever I was like I love uh, if someone will have me uh, and I love the project I'm going to be so happy I and I thought to myself I'll I'll, I'll probably do the jobs that a lot of com- snooty composers look down on and stuff um, which you know maybe they still do who knows but I never thought I'd be doing like dramas like Netflix shows and stuff with the BBC mm. I I yeah, I just and now and it's it's taken it's actually taken me probably l- last year or the year before that amount of time to kind of think, well, maybe I can aim higher, maybe I can do some cool things. Um, you know, I, th- I say cool things. I've I love doing things like little podcasts, like writing for there's a series of books, Captain Bobo books, or Tigeropolis. I've done some stuff for them, and I love doing that stuff or you know, just little community projects, you know, I don't, I don't care however big my projects get, if someone wants me to do a community project, you know, and I have the time, I'll I'll do it, it's not a thing of, well, I'm in the big times now, I'm only going to do feature films, but that being said, I would love to do a feature film, um, I'd love to do a feature film, I would love to do something quite psychological, I'd love to do something that's kind of, like, Oh, I don't know. There's a, There was something that, again, I won't say about it. There was something kind of pitched in my direction the other day. It was a, more for a team of us. And oh, it was just like, yeah, very psychological and very cool. And I was hearing all this kind of like interesting music in my head that could go along with it. Um, and I would also love to do a video game because I used to do loads of video games and now I haven't. Um, I still try and talk to audio directors all the time. So I'm just going to keep pushing that. Um, but I love just video games in general um and I'm much more of a voyeur when it comes to video games I can play video games um I'm currently trying to finish Ori on the Will of the Wisp but I just haven't got the time um so and then I'd also love to do something more science and natural history because I have been doing a few documentaries um I'd love to do something science and natural history because I really enjoyed the stuff that I did, um, at the NFTS, like the fractal film, fractal film that I spoke about. And then the last, my, one of my, one of my grads, I did two grad SNHs, uh, NFTS. One of them was called Between the Trees. And, um, it was a documentary all about trees, but I was like, well, I'm not going to make the music kind of boring or anything. Trees are actually very interesting. So I bought a device that you can attach electrodes to plants and it reads their bio emissions and it's like oh, a bio, it's like a bio yeah. emission sonification device so it would like feed it all into midi and that would cut turn into music so i had plants writing music for me and <laughs> um, so cool yeah so i'd love to do yeah. more things like that um but no i think uh, again like there will people will, people, will, people will say i say to people oh i'm gonna be really free in the summer like i don't think i'll have much going on and they're like hmm really because even if I don't get a project coming my way I've got so many ideas of things that I want to do I've got a music video that I want to do I want to create a couple of albums of things.
0: Is it a thing where composers can't get pigeonholed?
2: Oh absolutely uh, absolutely I spoke to a composer when I soon just before I graduated I was speaking to loads of composers just to get advice and uh, this one particular composer said they would love to do like a Disney thing, like something fun and, or just like Disney in general, but they were kind of stuck in dramas, which again, a lot of composers love the idea of doing a drama because it's kind of like, and I say drama in the sense of, you know, like a serious kind of maybe a police drama or like a thriller or some sort of serious drama. Um, but then again, you can get pigeonholed in that. Um, uh, yeah, I think that, it's like once someone, but the thing is being pigeonholed isn't always a bad thing as well. Like there are certain composers that I've listened to. Like for instance, um, I was listening loads of um, Henry Jackman's music this week um, and he's written a lot of like superhero stuff. uh, um, Big Hero 6 and, you know, Kick-Ass and what else has he also written for? Um, Yeah, the um, X-Men. They're kind of, origin film they did uh, and things like that and um, it all feels like very much his MO he's very good at that stuff but then he also did Puss in Boots and it's like all this like flamenco it's like and you can hear that his music is in it but clearly, either he did some research or he got some people involved to help him. But the, the 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 score is amazing. Like I was trying to listen to a particular type of music to kind of gain some inspiration for something, uh, and then "Put Some Boots" came on, and I was like, "This is so different." But I couldn't stop listening. I was like, "This is amazing." Um, and it's the same, like yeah, like with
0: the. Do you work like that with with um, you're know, like in the old old sense of like music production, like 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 how Dr Dre and that work, even even Hans Zimmer's done it, where he'll have like musicians and they'll jam and he'll direct, he'll music direct. Uh, do, you, do you do anything like that? Would you do anything like that?
2: See, I would love to do things like that. My problem is is that I I play a lot of things myself and I'm really fast. So I tend to just do everything myself, which is, it's annoying because actually I love, I'm a very extroverted social person. Um, I have had people in before, like I can't play many brass instruments, I've got like, no, I don't have any brass instruments with me, I don't think. I could play the euphonium, but um, I got someone in to play trumpet for me. Um, that was really cool. And um, I can play drums, but I don't have drums. And also, I'm not that great at drums. So I did get someone to remotely record drums for me. Um, but, yeah, you can always go to people who have specialisms in something. And I think that, again, is part of being a really good composer is think you know, it's... It's like when you want to create a film, I suppose, and once you know the industry, you start experiencing all these limits. You start thinking, oh, well, I can't do this and I can't do that because of the restraints around me. But if you're new to film and you're directing something, you know, oh, I want this character to go to space and like sit on the moon. Um, how can we make that work? And somehow they like try and find a way to make that work. And so, therefore, your expectations aren't limited, uh, even if it is difficult to do. So, if you're a composer, if you do everything yourself, I think you can limit yourself because no one's no one's amazing at everything. So knowing when to reach out to people for certain help on recording things is also a mark of a really good composer. But a lot of things as well directors have to consider. You know, a good a good composer will just want to create the best score no matter what, but obviously budget does come into it. So if a director says, oh, I want a male choir singing in my short film, you know, they'll either get a kind of rubbish VST, kind of like a fake sounding um mm. choir. Like I actually had that happen to me once and I basically created like a choir using samples, but then I sang and then I got my dad to sing because I'm not a man. I kinda, I don't have a man's voice. Um So I got my dad to sing on it. So we layered it with my voice and his voice and it ended up sounding like a real choir and I didn't have to book a whole choir out. So again, I wasn't limited. I didn't limit myself, but at the same time, there was no way i would have at that point because i was young i couldn't have booked, like some you know king's college choir or something so you do need to consider those things but yeah like i said i there was a limit i was like well i can't because i know the budget so i did it with me and my dad and a bunch of samples choir singing so that's that was
0: a lucky director whoever that was to have got that requested yeah, yeah. the choir got a He choir. was like
2: oh i love Hans Zimmer i love big orchestral things and i was like mm let's think of let's think of some other options shall we lucky beam
1: we do a, a nugget of the week we consume so much and me and Oz we, we kind of aligned in that we, we're just pretty obsessive learning so um we was like across the course of the week we can just like pick one thing and throw it out to the audience so they can be inspired as well so um it would be great to know what has inspired you this week Addy
2: yeah, so I was actually... I think I've already mentioned both of these two things. That the I've been listening to Henry Jackman a lot um, and I was inspired by the fact that he has a particular style but can obviously utilise other people, like research into doing different types of music and um, there's a very kind of fun element to his music uh, which I really enjoy. Um, so if anyone hasn't heard of him as a composer take a listen um, and then The Flatshare as well I think it was it Nitin I'm getting his name right Nitin Sawney The Flatshare it's called by Nitin Sawney and I love his music I've listened to it for, for years um, so when I saw on the credits that um, he did the music I was like oh, oh lovely um, and it's one of those soundtracks as well that again I think really blends in super well it just fits the general feeling of the show and the kind of
0: it's such a great tone the show is such it's a It's got great a really tone.
2: great tone to it. And um, yeah, there's some really interesting things. So like there's a particular scene, I don't want to give away the show, but there's a particular scene where there's like the main character, the, the main female character um, is kind of still in love with, I guess, her ex. And this ex, a bit of a idiot, a bit of a, not, a, not a very it's nice. A bit of a sleazebag, isn't it? He's back, a, sle- a slimeball. He's balls. a slime ball. Um, and, uh And there's this bit where... I think they're kissing or something. And you could make the music like super romantic because obviously in her head, she's like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. I'm kissing my ex even though like he's my ex and I love him more. But the music was kind of like, it was kind of romantic, but just wasn't quite fulfilling it. It just wasn't quite, it just there was something like, I don't know. It just didn't feel that it felt not downbeat, but it just wasn't upbeat. And I was like, this is perfect. This is absolutely perfect because it's like, trying to be romantic but it's but it's not and it and it didn't feel like it was trying either it was kind of like the music was what it was and I was like it could have been that he could have gone either way he could have made it really romantic or he could have made it really kind of sleazy but that would have been pushing the character one way or the other thing is that she as the, the, the female protagonist she's confused in herself like she's kind of like it's like this fake love this or this hold that he has on her there's like a controlling element to it anyway i just thought that it was very um very well balanced and uh i i again like i said the music just fits so well you don't you don't tend to notice it and i think just and i don't like to watch things with a musical ear i try to sit back and just enjoy it but for some reason that particular moment stuck out to me and was like yes perfect balance really love really love that um so yeah those are my main two nuggets for this
1: week. How about yours?
0: Mine's productivity, it's not even a thing, it's um it's an app called Snap App, which is really boring, but actually it's really it's really good for organizing on, on the Mac. You can it's about seven quid and it allows you to sort of like separate your windows really, really easily without a shock. You just drag it into a corner and then drag the other one into the other corner, it's so easy to use. And you can do all sorts of you can do three things three things on the screen at once, four things. Okay. It's really cool. Snap app.
1: And you? There's a film which I think was, I won't say it's important to me, but just visually what it's done, uh, it's called Free Iron and it's by a South Korean director called Kim Ki-duk. Um, I think I might have discovered it in maybe about 2013 or something. I just started like Googling the best South Korean films and this was on the list. Um, and yeah, it's its its basically about like uh, a young man who breaks into people's houses when they're on the vacation just lives there um and it, it why, why i like Kimki duck's work is that it's all very sort of like static frames and it's from that where i kind of learn about how to move characters through space with like a static camera um and i think there's there's like a couple times or sequences where the camera moves and when it does it does it because of the character it's informed by um the perspective of the character and the change in the story and that only it works because everything else is so static and, and considered so I think from watching that it it really informed it simplified my visual style I think whereas before I was sort of like just thinking to follow characters around so it's a really really cool film to see and also it's there's barely any dialogue as well which is a whole other thing so it's all just done through physical action.
2: Has it got a score?
1: I feel like it has. I can't remember if it does, but I feel like it has. It's got um, three three iron. Three iron, yeah. Number three and then iron, like a golf club. Is, is it on anything? Is it on any streaming thing? I've got no idea. I've got no idea. It must be somewhere. Yeah, I have got yeah. it on DVD. That's how I got it. Um,
2: oh, it yeah. says it does have a score by an artist called Sylvian, but when you okay. go on IDV, it's just that one film. So maybe it's like a one-off thing they did as a band. Mm. Um, Oh, I'll give it a look, though.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Sounds cool. Incredible. Yeah. Really, really cool. It goes a bit surreal as well. Nice. Totally, totally my jam. Um, Coolio. I think that's about it, right?
2: Well, I was going to ask either of you two, I think you've both asked questions, but have you guys had any personal experiences working with composers? Again, you don't have to name names where you felt like it's either gone really well or like maybe things could have gone better just if you have time to like yeah i'm interested we'll
1: time go for us <laughs> <laughs>
0: um i've been quite fortunate to be honest um when all the composers that i've worked with um have been super giving super patient um in decoding whatever shite's coming out of my mouth <laughs> about about whatever it is um and and because i you know music's a big part of me as a human being and um, I got involved in the last film that I did where I, I helped um, not write the music at all. That was done by um, a composer called Rolly, Rolly Witherow. Um, and we had a singer and everything in it as well. And that was really, really good. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, and because I've worked with him on quite a few things. And there's another another composer that I worked with called Ben Stanbridge, who's really, really good as well. Um, he's from York he's really super talented and again same very very patient and then when I worked with Nanita well, that was amazing that was an amazing experience
2: yeah she's a powerhouse she's actually my mentor she's my NFTS mentor yeah I've worked with wow, her I did... she was
0: fast as fuck I was yeah like, what?
2: it's crazy and she does so many different projects and um she speaks very passionately about all of them and yeah oh
0: she's great she's so encouraging I I, 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 I was I was like just amazing I went when I went to a place I was just like she had like all these different keyboards on the wall yeah. and keyboards that don't have keys like yeah what is that about and she was like yeah this is a new thing I was like right that's just blown my mind
2: well as in like, like just a, a of dials or do you mean like just one pads, pads. Yeah, pad yeah yeah it, yeah you like just, bend just, just pads. on the notes yeah I was like what
0: do you do with that <laughs> um but um that was a really really good experience you you touched on something Adi at the start where you said you've worked with directors where I think Nolan did it with Hans Zimmer on Interstellar where he just told him the feelings of what the f- script was going to be before he'd wrote it, wrote it and then he created a score and then he wrote the script off the back of that. I would love to do something yeah, like that in the future. Yeah, I love,
2: I love that. And also if you create a, a piece, even just one piece, that instils the feeling of what the ha- what you had before you start the, the process of creating a film, mm. the director can keep listening back to that track and no, it, preserves it, it, it kind it? of keeps them coming back to that feeling they had at yeah, the beginning and it will mean it. that you won't, it can help you not go astray yeah
1: I guess I guess for me um I've I won't say I've had like negative experiences I think I just had times where I probably made all of the rookie errors you can possibly make um I think on my first year film uh swing at the film school it's it's kind of like built around a, a dancing moment which the music was kind of like perfect at the first go but then the music that plays over the intro was way more difficult to have because it, there's a big old tonal shift and it's also, it plays over basically comedic, like a comedic dialogue. And then once once you kind of find out where the music's coming from, it's coming from a record player, which is in the room where someone's killed themselves. So it's like, it, it, it was such a, it's, it's the most difficult piece of music I've, we've ever had to try and find. And I've probably made a lot of mistakes in terms of like the process of finding that um by like but that's
2: so genius but by, by the way i loved when i watched that cuz it was kind of like this idea of you just didn't know what the hell to expect like you or like you were just like you were you going into it thinking one thing and then you completely subverted our expectations by revealing yeah it's quite yeah. horrible thing
1: yeah it's pretty grim um yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess like with that <laughs> process i am um, i yeah i i think i didn't really pick up on some of the not like cues as in music as in like social cues with what the um, the composer was saying in that like I was going in I was presenting something I was like do you think it should be more like this and I was just like oh yeah this works for that um, and then I kind of assumed that they knew exactly what was in my brain then and then I'd go back and they'd done something which was like the same tempo and pace as that and I was like oh not it was more just like the spirit of it <laughs> um, mm. so like I kind of I made a bunch of mistakes there I'm sure um, not just through inexperience experience really but beyond that like um I think on the retreat when it, and and Caterpillar I worked with someone else in your year Oliver Wegmuller um he's I, I I've never had any sort of communication issues with him at all and that's largely because like he's a massive film geek he, he's like not just do you know what I mean like he he yeah. says that he watches like at least one film a day or he did it and he'd no, he go did. through like things watching yeah. two or three in a row yeah. and so like when when i'd speak to him i could communicate through like oh you know like this moment in this film and he'd know exactly what it is yeah. and we'd kind of communicate that way um and yeah it, it, i think it, it, it we just seemed to really work and i think on the retreat especially like the ending the end shot it kind of is elevated by the music Like it's not leading, but he kind of made a choice at the 11th hour to kind of just build up, cut all the music out. So there's silence and then bring it back in. Um, And it kind of made the end moment more profound than we'd even kind of thought was possible. So I've I've had good experiences and experiences through an experience, so.
2: But that's great. The The relationship that you and Ollie have in terms of this what I was saying earlier about if, if you're not, it's like you need something to spark a conversation and if you haven't got anything there to begin with, having some, and, you know, people could find this in different ways for themselves and other people, but your way was harking back to film and like saying about this reference and so therefore it's, it's starting that dialogue. And then also another really important thing we haven't mentioned is um, the use of silence in film. So my whole dissertation, which I hate dissertation, by the way, I hate writing essays, was, um, was on the use of silence in film. Because I thought, all the composers are going to write about music, I'm going to be different, I'm going to write about silence. So I did, and it was so interesting, because the gaps that you have, the space that you have between music can be just as powerful as the music itself. And there are certain films that don't that have barely any music, if not no music, and it's just incredibly interesting because you think as a musician you know as a composer you want your music to be everywhere, and actually no you need to find you need, you need to kind of pick and choose your your moments and that's carefully crafting it um so yeah, that was perfect at the end of um the, your, that film where you said you had the silence and then the music came the back in the retreat yeah, yeah just it makes perfect he's, sense
1: he's great, and he also did the music for his podcast, which is uh, so if you love if you love that then um
2: I do. Yeah. I didn't know he did the music for though. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It was his birthday yes. the other day. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the all the Pisces. <laughs> you know, the creative Fuck Pisces. Sake.
1: Cool, yeah. Well thanks for this, Adi. This has been like super enlightening. It's been great. Um, it's been Again, really, just really to good. dispel the myths of, of like how to speak to, to you guys.
2: Also as well, whoever you work with, whether it's a composer or someone else, um, what I find is that you don't need to get things right all the time. If you have a if you have a collaboration with someone, and you ask like you said, you ask them to do a particular thing in the music, and they did something com- completely different. it's no biggie. Like the only biggie is if you waste time and money. So if you're like deciding stuff for a recording session, or if you have no much time, not much time left before a mix, that's when things can get a bit stressful. But if you start off a dialogue and you know things aren't quite right, or you're not quite communicating, you know it's a learning curve, and it's not a thing of. I'll become a better director because every time I talk to a composer it'll just get better and better. No, 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 you, you, you can have a fantastic uh, relationship with one composer and then the next composer you might find it a bit more difficult but then you end up making it a fantastic score because you work on that relationship and you work on that thing and I think never get bogged down in the idea that you have to always get things right first time. It's a learning curve no matter where you are in your career for sure.
1: Exactly that. Thank you so much
2: love it that was so well like you two are like in tandem like a like an old married couple like finishing each other's sentence
1: (laughs) so if anyone does happen to be listening get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com and we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large and we'll do our best to tell you
0: we want to shape this as a resource so please do get your questions in and reach out to us on instagram which is the director's take podcast and on Twitter, Marcus, which is? At Director's Take. And Adi, where can we find you online?
2: Yeah, so um, Adiesca, which is spelled A-D-I-E-S-C-A-R. That's my handle for most things. And it's my website, Um So yeah, you can find me there. And I'm obviously on Spotify, Apple Music, things like that as well.
0: So until next time, keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith.